unsanctioned. I will attack, attack, attack. Unauthorized. Get that stupid camera out of my face. And unbelievable. He's got to be 15 to 18 feet in the air. It's WCW uncensored. There are no rules. Put the boot through you, yeah. So anything goes. He enjoys pain. Give me that duck. What are they going to do? Get that camera out of here. I'm waiting for you, pal! Live from Tupelo, Mississippi, this is WCW Uncensored. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, here we are entering the second week of March and a lot is happening in the world of professional wrestling. And you have it all from the news desk this week, sir. Yeah, uh, Dick Byer, better known as the Destroyer, uh, passed away at the age of 88. Yeah, he mainly worked in Japan. He was... Born in Buffalo, New York, but worked extensively in Japan, was a major part of All Japan Pro Wrestling and Giant Baba in that camp. Uh, wrestled in the Midwest, but is mainly known for his time in Japan with uh, Ricky Dozan is where he had his breakthrough match, a match watched by an estimated 70 million people. That happened in 1963. He actually started wrestling in the mid-50s, so had a very long career. Yeah, didn't officially retire, I believe, until the early 90s from the ring entirely 93 um, i believe he was also a major keeper of kayfabe with his mask he would drive around in his mask he would appear in the crowd of other wrestling shows like he's at like fall brawl 2000 wcw he's in the crowd with his mask on he never wanted to be seen without the mask there were opportunities to take the mask off him like promoters in the u.s wanted to take the mask off him and he said no 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 this is my ticket this is my meal ticket because it wasn't until he put the mask on that he received his biggest push in professional wrestling and yeah wasn't going to give that up right he, he also went by the name dr x he beat Vern gagne in 1968 for the awa championship he only held it for uh 14 days before dropping it back to Vern, but had a run with the awa world title he's in the pro wrestling hall of fame was so well-known in Japan, he received the Order of the Rising Sun for a lifetime spent promoting goodwill and bicultural exchanges between Japan and the United States. So, a very long career in all Japan pro wrestling. Dick Byer passed away at the age of 88 on March the 7th. You may not recognize him, but you probably know the mask. He used to wear it everywhere. It- in the restaurants up and down the streets. An international sensation, Dick the Destroyer Buyer was a wrestling pioneer who made waves in both the states and overseas. If you could use the word reverend, Dick Byers was reverend in Japan. He was must-watch TV, literally. One of his most famous fights in Japan drew more than 70 million viewers. For those keeping score at home, Super Bowl 2019 drew 98 million. When he was in Japan, he had the number two television station, you know, rated um, show on television in Japan. The number two. 
But behind the mask was a person who never forgot his roots in western New York. He owned the Destroyer Park Golf Course in Akron, was a varsity swim coach, and was a regular in the community. You've probably seen his face, or the mask rather, around Ilio DiPaolo's restaurant in Blaisdell. He's always been like a second father to our family here, you know, especially when I lost my father, you know, 25 years ago, the Destroyer, you know, you know, hey, whatever you need, I'll be there. Bayer will best be remembered for his charity work, an active role with local wrestling teams. There's even a scholarship in his name. He was the nicest, most gentle, giving man you will ever, ever know. Sean Robson, 7 Eyewitness News. A life well lived. Uh, one, from one childhood hero to another, uh, this man who I thought was a great, great heel and one that always stood out in my mind as a true just giant of a man that as a kid I absolutely adored. Uh, unfortunately, has passed away this week as well. This man also uh, opened up the lines of communication for me to, to learn from him and to, to ask him questions. And uh, just was a great individual, and that is none other than King Kong Bundy. King Kong Bundy, also known as Christopher Pallies, was 60 three years old, just a little bit older than uh, Vader was when he passed away last year. It seems to be about 60 is about the median age that most wrestlers seem to get to nowadays, Patrick, sadly. Someone on our Facebook page wrote that, uh, I think it was Jason Tick wrote that, uh, yeah, the median age for wrestlers is 57. I was like, you know what, that's about right, right. but sad, but true. It's probably, that's actually improved over the last 20 years, probably. A lot of... It probably, be, it probably used to be closer to 40-something years old at the rate wrestlers were passing away in the 90s and early 2000s, so... Massive man. A massive man, yes. A, a living cartoon character. A real definition of what a pro wrestler would look like if you were to say, hey, I need a generic... What is a pro wrestler? Draw it on a piece of paper. You would probably draw something that looks like King Kong Bundy, a giant man who is bald and has no chin and neck. It all merges into one, and he has uh, all these features that are just cartoonish, and he... Yeah, he's just a massive man, and the five count was so cool to me as a kid. One, two, three, and he... No, five. He wanted to beat someone so bad that they couldn't kick out at a three count. They they couldn't even kick out at a five count. And I just, I loved that. I thought that was a great gimmick and something that just stood out in my mind. As well as when he started doing the uh, the stuff with um, Married with Children. That the, they actually got their last name from the show uh, from him. That they were... Yeah, and then the neighbors were the roads. So yeah. the people who ran uh, Married with Children were huge wrestling fans. Yeah. And had him on the show. So he was also uh, a bit of a celebrity in that regard, too, because he was also in an IBM commercial. Yeah. He got a lot of work outside of the ring. I mean, when you look like that, I mean, you're going to be typecast in a lot of stuff. So he's going to be really known for two runs with the WWF. That's what he's going to be most remembered for, and that's his runs through the first three WrestleManias. The The first one that he opened up with Special Delivery Jones and beat him in nine seconds. And then next year, he got to headline the event uh, against Hogan in the Blue Cage, which is a very memorable cage and a 
not such a memorable card or event, but you definitely remember the main event. It was Hogan against another monster, and unfortunately for King Kong Bundy, once Hogan beats you, you pretty much fell down the card and you were to never return. And that's just the way that the company operated for quite some time. You would be very pressed. It wasn't until Macho Man was able to recapture the WWF title after several, several years for somebody to actually overcome getting beaten by Hulk Hogan. That was... Yeah, I mean, WrestleMania 4 and then on to WrestleMania 8, you know, for him to recapture those titles. Or to to get it at WrestleMania 4 and then recapture at WrestleMania 8. But I, I feel like, personally, a big man like that uh, definitely worthy of a title run. And unfortunately, he never got that. Well, they were just making so much money with Hulk Hogan that you couldn't really justify putting it on anybody else. I mean, the only time they decided to put it on someone else is when Hogan went to do a movie. That was yeah. the only thing that got them to change their mind in the 80s. And then at WrestleMania three at uh, the Pontiac Silverdome was his match, the six-man match with the, uh, the Micros. And, of course, he... He splashed one of them, and... <laughs> I mean... Yeah, yeah, he splashed Little Beaver, was, uh... But a very... You didn't see him a lot at, at wrestling, you know, Comic-Cons or whatever. You didn't... Yeah, it pretty much disappeared when he was out of the WWF and out of wrestling. He was pretty spotty as far as... His appearances. If he showed up, it was a special thing. It wasn't like, oh, well, I'll catch him next year or whatever. It was a very special event. The fact that he, like I said, he opened up, you know, the lines of communication. And when I just simply asked him a question and then he was like, you know, yeah, sure. Like, you know, anything. And so I was able to bounce ideas off of him, be able to talk to him, actually considered him a very close friend. And uh, unfortunately... You know, he's gone, but the things that he did in in the sport of professional wrestling is just unbelievable. He made his way back to the WWF in 1994 as part of the Million Dollar Corporation and got in the 95 Rumble, but only lasted three minutes before Mabel eliminated him. We just reviewed that Rumble not too long ago. But he did make it to WrestleMania 11 as Undertaker's Monster of the Month and was... Just like what happened with Hogan, he was defeated by Undertaker and then pushed down the card and released that October. Uh, He did make an appearance on Raw in a 20-man battle royal, but that was pretty much the end of his WWF run and appearances altogether. He did appear at that really bad Heroes of Wrestling event in 1999, which is most famous for uh, Jake the Snake Roberts showing up inebriated. And he did Legends events and Super events and stuff. And it seems like his last match was in 2007. He lost to Jim Duggan. His final performance in the wrestling ring was in May 2007. But he was planning some upcoming appearances. And was planning on being at WrestleCon in New York City this year. So, strange that a guy that didn't make many public appearances was about to make some. And then passed away before he could make them. Yeah. His character was larger than life, but unfortunately... In the ring, I don't think he's in the same realm of in-ring performer as a Vader or a Bam Bam Bigelow or an Umaga, a large guy that that could do a lot of amazing things in the ring. I do think he was a he, he was, was a giant character. He was a giant character, but he was a massive man that used his weight to his advantage. 
where others used power and speed as well as big men. He was just a big man that used his weight to his advantage. And unfortunately, he came along at a time when they had Andre. And Andre's personality and just his sheer... I mean, it sucks to be a giant when you're standing next to the giant. Yeah. So it's kind of unfortunate the era in which he came along. He just happened to be next to the most iconic, you know, cartoon giant or, you know, just actual giant (laughs) of all time that was in pro wrestling. And Andre wasn't that good in the ring either, but it's just his personality. He was so, so much charisma and so much character. And even through, even though he had limited English, he still was slightly more charismatic than King Kong Bundy. And also it was unfortunate during this time that, yeah, you get beat by Hogan, you just go back down the card and you're forgotten about because... He could have had a lot of other great programs that he probably would have ended up losing, but to guys like Macho and Steamboat and people in the Mr. Perfect people in the 80s and mid-80s and late 80s that could have used uh, a nice big win over a big man yeah. at the time. So he didn't really do a lot of that. Yeah, a match with him and Savage, I think, would have been a great match back in that, that era. Yeah, but he's a stereotypical... A uh, big man, as far as his wrestling style, it's get the big man off his feet. He does splashes. He does stomps. He'll walk across you like the Big Show does. Like just big man stuff. Yeah. So in the ring, I'm not gonna say he's on the elite level, but I mean, as far like I said, he is a cartoon character. He is what '80s wrestling was. He's everything the WWF was in the '80s about big, over the top characters and yeah. not necessarily the in-ring product from atlantic city new jersey weighing 458 pounds king kong bundy wwe is saddened to learn of the passing of christopher allen pallies known to the wwe universe as the legendary king kong bundy on the highway of life, I'm a Mack truck. And when you're a Mack truck, you don't need any road manners. A mountain of a man, Bundy's colossal size and strength helped him dominate his opponents as he stood toe-to-toe with some of the industry's biggest stars. Devastation himself, King Kong Bundy. He looks like a bus coming down a one-way street. Look at the power of this man. At his first WrestleMania, King Kong Bundy squashed Special Delivery Jones in an astounding nine seconds, a record which would stand for over 20 years. History made here at WrestleMania. Bundy's Leviathan power left audiences in awe and his opponents in agony. I love those words, run roughshod. What better could describe King Kong Bundy? The three count was often not enough for Bundy to prove his dominance. When I beat a man, there ain't gonna be no three count. It's gonna be a five count. He wants a five count. He could have a 55 count. Bundy transcended sports and entertainment. Where are my highlights? Showing up on the big screen with the likes of Richard Pryor, and on the beloved television sitcom, Married with Children. Sure, kid. I do a lot of work on behalf of the stupid. (laughs) 
WWE sends their condolences to Bundy's family, friends, and fans. Yeah, so uh, King Kong Bundy passing away at the age of 63 this week. In addition to, I just wanted to mention Luke Perry's passing because Luke Perry is the father of Jungle Boy in PWG. Also, Luke Perry served as a producer on the Ric Flair documentary, a huge fan of pro wrestling, passing away at 52 on Monday after a stroke out of nowhere. So, really terrible stuff for Luke Perry and his son Jack. So, uh, bad week for losses in the world of professional wrestling. Yeah. Uh, Howard Finkel suffered a stroke this week. Gee, you're just all into bad news, you know? Yeah, I really am. Uh, Howard Finkel suffered a stroke this week. Howard Finkel is 68, and... uh, Yeah, on Dinner with the King, uh, Jerry the King Lawler's podcast, or whatever it's called, Kicking It with the King, I don't know what they call it now, he mentioned that Finkel suffered a serious stroke, the news isn't good, his health situation is a really sad story, is what Dave Meltzer reported, not in good shape, hasn't been on TV in a few years now, so I kind of wondered what was going on with him, and... That's what's going on. So, yeah. the voice of the 90s WWE and I mean even the first few WrestleManias, he was a vo- he was a part of every WrestleMania up until 33 was the first one. I believe. Yeah, he, he had the real that. record. He had the true the true record of WrestleManias. I mean, nobody's made that many appearances. Well, and in a row especially yeah. outside of I mean, Vince wasn't always featured on camera, so Vince would be the only I mean, the Stooges and all those. I mean, yeah. some of those guys might count. Some of the ring crew and Kevin Dunn and those guys might count. But Howard Finkel, yeah, was there as an on-screen in some on-screen capacity. Yeah, for the first 32 WrestleManias, it was pretty incredible. And was used. They used his voice at Raw 25 last year, but he didn't actually appear on camera. So that might have been a clue that he was not doing too good health-wise. But we wish Howard Finkel the best, as he is... Uh, yeah, we hope he battles back. and uh, One of my favorite announcers. And absolutely. Was uh, also down to be made fun of, be the butt of the joke, and was a used lot. in that capacity quite a bit. Yes. On to some more sad news, unfortunately. Harley Race, uh, I, I knew this weeks ago, because I'm good friends with, uh, with Harley and the Race family, and Leland, his son, and... Um, but it was it was kept quiet for privacy reasons. Absolutely, I'm not going to to break that. Um, but now it has become public that uh, Harley Race does have lung cancer. It is not terminal like it was first reported. Uh, it's just regular lung cancer. But uh, we do wish him the best of luck and hopes. It, Hope he bounces back. Yeah, over the last few years, he's had a rough go of it health-wise. He broke both legs in 2017, one in several places. He needed four blood transfusions during the surgery to repair that. He needed surgery to his neck, hip replacements, knee replacements, and five vertebrae in his back were fused together. So he's had a lot of work done to try to keep him going and was still active on the convention circuit up until... That announcement was made was in a picture with Ric Flair a couple weeks before the Ric Flair birthday thing on Raw. Yeah. So he was still out there and still making the rounds. So he was unfortunately after his back surgery confined to a wheelchair. So we do want to wish Harley Race the best of luck in uh, 
we're keeping you in our thoughts and prayers, uh, Harley, and we hope you can bounce back really well. Mr. Chompa. Tommaso Ciampa, yes, the current NXT world champion. He had neck surgery. He apparently had uh, a couple of discs, I believe. Yeah, he had a couple of vertebrae uh, fused together uh, in his neck. He had been dealing with a uh, neck injury for a while and just working through it because the guy has been pretty injury prone his whole career, had a lot of issues with his knees, and was certainly not going to let this run slip away from him so I think that he worked hurt uh, longer than he probably should have I'm not saying that that made his injury worse but he finally had to say enough was enough and they told him to get neck surgery on Thursday and so now they tape NXT in advance which is common that's what they do so his storylines are going to have to be heavily edited out or they're going to have to do some sort of just abrupt title vacancy and then decide where to go from there whether it be a tournament or whether they just have a handful of competitors picked out to do some sort of ladder match or maybe William Regal just names his number one contenders and that's just the end of it. Yeah. They haven't taped all the episodes of NXT up until the pay-per-view so they'll have time to get something into place. And right, get something rolling with that. The good thing is they have so many people down there in Orlando. They have such a deep roster that he will be missed because he was the top dog. He was the headliner. He was the champion. But they have such a deep talent roster. You have guys like Adam Cole and Gunner and people like that that are on the roster. Yeah. And this is a good opportunity for some of those underutilized people in NXT to possibly get a shot at this. So, Well, to step up, bring their A-game, definitely. Yeah, but a long recovery. Uh, six, some, six months to 14 months is more looking like the uh, longer of the two. But Well, when it comes to neck injuries, I would always pick the longer. Yeah. And I think they would, too. I hope he comes back. I mean, Jason Jordan had neck surgery and has yet to come back. So. Right. Tampa, Florida will be hosting next year's WrestleMania. It is an ugly-ass fucking logo, but I am excited that they're coming down south again, so... Well, they're going to Florida, which is not the south, really, but it is geographically closer than New York City, that's correct. Okay. But, yeah, they're going to Raymond Raymond James Stadium, which is where the Tampa Bay Bucks play, and so instead of using numbers at the end of WrestleMania, which was the tradition for many years, or Roman numerals, one or the other, on certain years, or X, when they were in uh, early 2000s, everything had to be X, so it was X7, X8, all that shit. So they would usually number them. Well, a few years ago, Vince decided uh, numbers make it sound old. That was the reasoning. Numbers make it sound old. Well, it's working pretty well for the Super Bowl. No one seems to say, oh, that Super Bowl, that's old and tired. Uh, it's got numbers on it. No, no one cares about the numbers. Well, everybody's saying WrestleMania 36 is going to be in Tampa, and you're, but yet you're not acknowledging yeah. WrestleMania 36. You're just saying, oh, WrestleMania next year. So every WrestleMania since WrestleMania 31 has not been branded that way in the logo. Instead, right. they've chosen something that represents the city. And so for the one in San Francisco, you had a play button because all the inter- you know, all the tech companies are there. For 32 in Dallas, it was, of course, the Texas Dallas Cowboys star. Uh, 33, Orlando was a sun. Yeah. 34 was Mardi Gras yeah. shit. Uh, this year is the Statue of Liberty. Right. 
Now, unfortunately, Tampa is known for the bay, which is a giant body of water, so they weren't going to just put a blue circle (laughs) under the logo. So they decided to go with the football team logo, sort of, which I find kind of strange knowing that Vince is starting a football league next year, and for WrestleMania, he chose the NFL team's logo to basically be the WrestleMania logo. But instead of the pirate, the skull and crossbones on the flag, it's the WWE logo. And then it's over the top of WrestleMania. It's a it's a hideous logo. It's a it's a, but this year's logo for WrestleMania is pretty ugly, in my yeah. opinion, for the one in New York. But, and but next year's is terrible. I mean, it is. But it's not going to get any better because no. as long as you have to keep putting these random, what does this city represent? Find a clip art image of it and put it on there. We're going to run into this. We just they need a classy logo with numbers on it. Yeah. Just ha- leave it at that. But yeah, it's coming back to Tampa, another outdoor stadium. They were just there in Orlando for WrestleMania 33. So you're talking about in three years, they're coming back to within a, a couple hours drive of the one in Orlando. And then they came back for 34, four years after being there in New Orleans for 30. Yeah. So I don't know. They're getting in a habit of returning to basically the same places every few years. Still hoping that eventually the United Kingdom gets a WrestleMania. I think it would do really well, look really good on TV. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go there because I don't have a passport, but maybe I would consider getting one uh, because I think that would be a really amazing... Wembley Stadium. I think that would be an absolute perfect venue for WrestleMania. Yeah, or there's the O2. There's other arenas. I think that's might be what it's called now, actually. I don't know. There's plenty of venues over there. They just had the Olympics there not too long ago, so they've got tons of stadiums. Right. I just think it's time to take it overseas because if you're really... If they're so bent on this global domination and taking things overseas, like they're taking SummerSlam to Toronto, which isn't... I mean, that's Canada, so it's not really that far away. But if you're really serious about this global expansion and you're already running shows in Saudi Arabia or whatever, then I think it's beyond time. And you're also building a brand in XT UK in the UK. So take a WrestleMania there. Yeah. And don't worry about the tape delay because we just watch it on demand anyway. Doesn't matter. Seeing it live doesn't matter. Or some people, does that stop people from staying up to watch Wrestle Kingdom all night? No. Like, if I really want to watch something, I'll find a way to do it. Yeah. I'll, if it starts at 3 a.m. here, I'll just set an alarm and watch it. Or yeah. just watch it on tape delay. It's not a big deal with the yeah. network. That would be my suggestion for going forward. Tampa is good for affordability for people that are traveling there. There will be lots of places to stay because there's lots of interstates that run through it. There's surrounding towns. You don't feel like you're out in the middle of nowhere. It's don't... not as crazy as Orlando either. And it's not as crazy as Miami. So I think it's a good middle of the road there are two good airports there within within the distance to the stadium just like in orlando orlando has two airports so i think it's a it's a good idea yeah uh, for 36 just needs a better logo unfortunately they're not interested (laughs) in logos um anderson and gallo say they're not re-signing after their contract is up in september then after their 90 90-day non-compete clause. You're looking at next year's 2020. 2020, if if they want to re-sign somewhere else, will be right. what happens. But this could be a negotiating tactic, just like we've seen with several other wrestlers. Because as long as... Which Dean Ambrose now is rumored that that's what's going on with him. 
don't know and you really won't know until the actual contract is up and you see what happens. Right. And they definitely feel like Dean is still planning on going. There's been a lot of rumors on like Wrestling Inc. and all these other wrestling websites about, oh, he, they're trying to get him to stay and Roman Reigns is going to try to talk him into staying. But I don't think they would be going as far with the S.H.I.E.L.D. reunion if there was any indication on his part that he was staying. Right. Because the S.H.I.E.L.D. reunion is only happening because he's leaving, basically. I mean, they got Roman returning, which they didn't expect, but they were like, okay, Dean's one foot out the door. Let's cash out. Let's get the S.H.I.E.L.D. reunion for Fastlane. One last time. So basically, on one week's build, you're getting a S.H.I.E.L.D. reunion. Could he change his mind? Could uh, Anderson and Gallows change their mind? Sure. I would be more optimistic that Dean Ambrose would change his mind considering that his wife is employed there and he's also one of the main featured players no matter where he is in the card you know that he can always be elevated up to the title picture yeah because of being a part of the shield and being one of their one of their boys but Anderson and Gallows on the other hand have been treated very poorly since they've come in as far as they were brought in from the Bullet Club and they were brought in with Bullet Club member AJ Styles. And for some reason, they didn't want to put these people together. And when they did, it would be for a few weeks at a time, then they pulled the plug. Okay? So maybe hook them up with Finn Balor, the old Bullet Club leader. Did that for a couple weeks. So it's actually a Balor club instead of just a t-shirt that doesn't mean anything. Right. Pull the plug on that after a couple weeks. Yeah. They were a hot commodity when they were signed. They probably got a very good contract when they came in. I would doubt... Well, the company may be in a position to want to offer them the same or more to try to keep them. Creatively, the club has been totally wasted on WWE television. Oh, absolutely. And for someone like myself, who I've actually wrestled Gallows, uh, not just ref to match, uh, he's a very energetic, he's very... I mean, he's a constant professional, and I am shocked that WWE hasn't used them better... Well, I almost think Carl Anderson could be a single star if they really put him in the right position. Yeah. That tag division, I mentioned it before, it's yeah. just terrible it's, on both it's shows. It's falling down Once flick. you get past a few teams, two or three teams on each brand, you are in comedy jobber land. Yeah. And unfortunately for the club, they're in comedy jobber land because they're not focused upon, when they are on TV, it's usually in a losing effort. And they have just been going nowhere. So they might be better off going to work with their friends, the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes, who they have experience with from New Japan. And so just go back to what you know and go back to people that know how to give you the kind of exposure that you probably deserve. This is a tag team that has years working together. They're not just Bobby Roode and Chad Gable thrown together your two guys go out there to be a tag team. These are these are tag team specialists at this point. Yeah. And you're just... I ah, just sit on the sidelines. You can work a house show this weekend. You can work main event. That's just ridiculous. So... Yeah, I mean, this is... Like you like you said, this is a, an established team like the Rock and Roll Express or whatever that have spent multiple years together. It kind of reminds me of when they brought in the Dudleys for their last run. They were just not utilized No, in a way. you did, They didn't even get a singles run out of Bubba as Bully Ray in that time. So 
a complete waste of time. And it's almost like they're punished for being tag team specialists. Like, all the, the top spots in the tag division goes to two randomly paired singles guys. And then they forget all about the, the tag teams. Yeah. So, good luck to them. Jim Ross says he's not re-signing his WWE contract. No, it's about to expire. I think it expires around WrestleMania. That's when he was signed. We saw him return at WrestleMania 33 mm-hmm. right after his wife had passed away. He called the Undertaker match and was expected to be brought back in on some sort of semi-regular basis and was at that time still allowed to call New Japan shows. Well, then they, they cut that out, and so he wasn't doing that anymore. But then he was just sitting at home. He was a part of the first May Young Classic. They didn't use him for the second one. He did Raw 25. He did a few other appearances. I think he did an NXT UK event. He said it on his own podcast. He wants to stay busy. He doesn't have a wife at home anymore. He is lonely. He gets bored. And he does get a paycheck from this company, but he would like to be doing stuff. Yeah. And a man of his age, it's probably best to be active. Definitely see AEW sleeping sleeping in and grabbing him. He doesn't even have to be the weekly commentator. He can be used in a... Special events. Or just as a talent yeah. supervisor, because that's what he... His capacity in WWF was more than the main Raw announcer. He was head of creative yeah. with the talent as far as bringing them in. And, you know, not all of his picks worked out. I mean, Dr. Death didn't work out the way he wanted it to when he was in charge of talent relations, but he could be brought in in that role and still get something out of him instead of just benching him. One that I am shocked about and uh, one that I will be personally uh, checking into, Jushin Thunder Liger has announced he is retiring January 2020 at the Tokyo Dome will be his last match. So, uh... Yeah, by the time that rolls around, he will have had a 36-year career as a professional wrestler. Started in 1984. Almost 36 years. He didn't start in January, so... Almost 36 years in pro wrestling. He's 54 years old. He wrestles in a mask, obviously, so that's helped hide the aging process and also Japanese wrestlers tend to wrestle longer than American ones I mean it's just and he's still common. he still works a high flying base you know style a oh, high he's flying... very much involved in the super juniors I mean he wrestles guys that are guys like Will Ospreay and guys like that guys that are yeah that that can move around and he can keep up yeah now, to he be can't, 54 yeah I mean... he can't keep up as good as he could in 1994 but he can keep up very well he was a guy that wcw brought in on occasion and was a real special attraction even wrestled against tyler breeze in an nxt event uh two or three years ago uh for wwe but otherwise has not really done a lot of work first match at wcw monday night nitro right helped kick things off there at the mall of america for monday nitro but just a legend in Japan and a legend worldwide. I I I'm a huge Liger fan. No, I mean we talk about the iconic mask of uh, Dick the Destroyer, but I mean Jushin Liger's mask. I mean that's it's recognizable worldwide. The red and white. He's uh, definitely a character, and yeah. he is a, an amazing athlete and one that I completely understand. I get age and all that, but. 
He's one of those like Terry Funk. I thought he'd wrestle forever. I just never saw this one coming blindside of me. But no, I'm definitely tuning in. Going forward, Fox has announced that they want their SmackDown when they get it on Friday nights to be more edgier content like it was in the 90s and not so much PG the way in which it is now. So, my question to you is, are we going to get the Attitude Era back? Are we going to get just a little bit half and half? Or are they going to say, no, we can't do that due to being politically correct and and PG for all the kids out there and everything else? This is all just a rumor that that Fox tells them to avoid the, the PC culture and give edgier content. I think you'll only see a change in their presentation on the Fox network is if the ratings come back for the first couple weeks when it moves to Friday, because... I think the show on Friday right now is is the Tim Allen Last Man Standing. It is one of the shows on Friday, and it's doing quite well. Right. I think it's getting around 4 million viewers. Yeah. So that's pretty much the bar that they have to reach is 4 million viewers. They don't draw that on USA right now. They draw about 2.5 is about their average. Now, sometimes it's a little bit more, and sometimes it's a little less. But this also is on network TV, free over-the-air TV. There's a Fox affiliate. You can get it pretty much anywhere in the country. So there's going to be a lot more opportunity to grow. But I think you will see a product that changes if the first couple weeks of returns aren't very good because they will start to feel the pressure because they don't want to end up on FS1. They want to be on Big Fox. And Fox is paying them a lot of money to have them on the Fox network and to be reduced to FS1 and I don't know what kind of contract they have and if Fox has the ability to say we want out after a couple years or whatever but getting moved to FS1 would be a huge disappointment for Vince and especially at a time when he's trying to shop his football network and try to get get find a home for the XFL yeah if he can't even keep wrestling on network TV for you know, an extended period of time before it's yanked off, then potential advertisers and, and people that want the XFL are going to be like, I'm not so sure because yeah. you gave Fox SmackDown and it tanked and now you're on FS1 or yeah. you're off the air entirely. Right. So I think that's the only thing that will provoke change from them because you can't have two drastically different shows in Raw and SmackDown because. Then you also have people at NBC Universal and, and USA that you have to keep happy too. And if SmackDown soars from doing something and you don't do it on Raw or vice versa, then you've made one of your broadcast partners upset because yeah. you're getting results doing one thing with one show and not with the other. So both shows would, I guess, have to have the same sort of change in order to appease the broadcast partners. But that's the only way I see it changing because they do have a lot of money tied up with sponsorships and partnerships with with organizations that if you started doing some of the edge of your content, they're not going to want to be around. Susan G. Komen is going to want to be around in October, which is when SmackDown starts on Fox in the fall. Susan G. Komen's not going to want pink ring ropes if you're doing angles where women are taking their clothes off. Right. That's as simple as that. So, yeah, you won't see that unless things 
take a turn as far as a nosedive in the ratings is the only way I see them actually making significant change. They're doing it in a way with the Ronda Rousey promo and stuff like that where they're having the wrestlers use their personas online and their social media and they can be as vulgar as they want and they can do whatever they want on there because then the company can just say we have nothing to do with that. Just like they did with uh, Lexa Bliss scenario was a couple months back where someone apparently walked into a locker room with her Oh well, that was on that was on Raw. Yeah, but it was, but it mean, was done to get put on YouTube, right? It, that's so what you I'm could saying. just put stuff. That's how they can appease that request and still keep their sponsors. Because if it's on YouTube, if it's on someone's Instagram page, if it's on their Twitter, it's like, well, we didn't tell Ronda Rousey to say that. Wink, wink. Yeah. And that way, and then it doesn't fall on them anymore as a content provider. It falls on you as a parent to say, well, you can't look at social media because you never know what's gonna. Right. stumble in there so in a way they're sort of already moving in that direction if you take Ronda Rousey's recent tweets into consideration so that's one way they could they could do that and not lose any sponsorship speaking of women getting half naked uh, Tori Wilson is going into the Hall of Fame well like I said I'm I'm done with Hall of Fame conversations good for her that's all I can say about it that's all I can say about any Hall of Fame entry because it's just whoever Whatever yeah. they feel like. She's alive, so she'll be there. Uh, I think Al Wilson is actually still alive, so this could be his his resurrection in storyline. He could show up. Maybe Don, Don Marie. Marie. I was yeah. say, Don Marie. Yeah. They put together a highlight package of her on Raw, and I, was, I think there was about two seconds of her actually in a wrestling ring. So that tells you about everything you need to know about her <laughs> wrestling career. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, we finally found out this week about... Why Double A Arn Anderson was fired from WWE, and it has to do with Alicia Fox showing up to an independent. Uh, well, no, it was a house show. And it, well, yeah, it has to do with Alicia Fox showing up to a house show, inebriated and drunk from, I guess, on the way to the show. Uh, anyway, he allowed her to wrestle in that type of condition. Apparently, they didn't like they didn't like this too much, and so uh, Arn Anderson was fired. And my question to you is: Back in the day, there was tons of wrestlers that did it. Oh, I mean, we watched a match between Kerry Von Erich and Jerry Lawler, where it was clear that Kerry Von Erich was probably under the influence of maybe not liquor, but definitely under the influence of something yeah but i mean and we've seen jeff hardy show up into a ring with sting and tna and i mean bischoff walked out there and stopped it before it happened but they sent him to the ring then in that condition we've seen hall at a independent show show up inebriated we've seen jake the snake show up inebriated uh heroes of wrestling jake the snake walks down there inebriated so it's happened before. That doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it, oh, well, we've done that in the past. I mean, that's probably the line of thinking that Arn took into... I'm sure that Arn... I'm trying to get inside Arn Anderson's head on this one, and, and the way I see it is he probably knew the layout of the match and that she wasn't going to be involved in much in the match because, let's face it, Alicia Fox isn't a very good pro wrestler. No, she's not. And... This house show took place February 10th. She was involved in a tag match. It might have even been a six-person match, but it was a tag match of some sort. She was probably going to see very limited action, and he made a judgment call right there and then 
based on his experiences back in the day, and realized that the match was set up where she wasn't going to be doing much anyway, and didn't want to get her in trouble, and just said, fine, you're going out there, but you're just going to stand around. Yeah, you're not getting tagged, you're not anything. And I haven't seen footage from that show, that's the last time she's worked, by the way, but... I'm sure that's probably why he made the call that he did. Well, you now, can't you can't tell me Arn Anderson or Ric Flair or any of these guys back in the day didn't go to the ring somewhat drunk. I'm not saying completely out of their mind, but Ric Flair has publicly made it known he drank all the time. Well, not just with alcohol, but I mean painkillers, drugs, whatever. Yeah. Rob Van Dam probably wrestled all his matches high from marijuana. Uh, They send wrestlers... Yeah, wrestlers have performed, inebriated. Thousands of, to this day, are still performing that way. But, when you... But, the WWE can't have that. You cannot have that. And you can't have it be public knowledge if you do have that. And so, if... The other wrestlers notice that she's she's not she's not in the right state of mind, and yeah. and you still let her go out there, and it was to the point where the other wrestlers noticed, and then you got told on. Basically, I mean, he accepted his fate. I mean, you can't you just can't do that. You can't do that. Like your job is to ensure the safety of the other people in the ring. That's right. And when you're inebriated, you can't do that. And so she shouldn't have been sent out there and. He admitted he was wrong, and he was dismissed. And, I mean, we can get into the judge, the jury, and the decider. Vince McMahon makes these calls all the time that do not apply equally to everybody. Yeah. If Hunter was the one that sent her out there, I don't think he would be getting fired, Patrick. But this was not his son-in-law. This was not somebody in his inner circle. This was not Kevin Dunn. This was not someone from Creative sending this was wasn't pat patterson yeah it wasn't someone in his inner circle where he could bury the story or just not do anything or suspend him or take other actions this was somebody that doesn't have that kind of level of privilege and was dismissed so question number two alicia fox is she going to be uh publicly reprimanded in any way by doing this because I see it as if Arn got fired, no offense, she needs to be fired as well. Or she needs to be benched until her contract's up and not re-signed. Just like AA, she's been with the company a very long time. She started wrestling for them, I believe, in 2008. So she's an 11-year ring veteran. She's actually amongst the female competitors next to Natty Neidhart. I think she is probably the most tenured in this company yeah. as far as active female wrestlers. That being said, yeah, she probably does re- receive some sort of punishment, but you cannot, you can't terminate her over this because that looks very bad. If you, you have someone with a problem, you have somebody with an addiction, and for all of, like I said before, with their Susan G. Komen and all their PR things that they are involved with, with charities and trying to promote their efforts with sending wrestlers to rehab, their efforts with trying to promote that it's a different. WWE than what it was in the 90s, I think it would look really bad to dismiss her. I think, and from what I've read, they've tried to 
send her to rehab, and they have been unable to contact her at and, the moment. And in that situation, in that scenario, if you have tried, and if you have, you were going to send her to rehab or whatever, and she refused, at that particular point in time, I'm making that judgment call that, you know what, if that's how you feel, then I've got to dismiss you. I've got to let you go. I can't have you being this way and then when we're trying to help you get better you're turning us down or fighting us uh fighting us trying to help you get better so it's almost like she's she doesn't think she has a problem and doesn't think that it's a problem and she's not going to deal with it so well it sort of reminds me of the case of Eva Marie who basically they gave her two wellness violations and they dismissed her after that. And that's I'm sure that might be the same route they go here. Really, they could have done they could have dismissed Paige, quite frankly, when she was going through all of her troubles as that's well. True. But I don't think you make that move immediately. I think you let it you try to figure out a, a way forward and you try to and if there's a way that they can spin themselves into being the good guy and Alicia Fox goes to their sponsored rehab and they then they have a success story, Patrick. Yeah. Then they have someone they can send out on the road to go to schools and say, This is the dangers of drinking. I almost lost my job and this and that and but the WWE saved me and they're such good company, Patrick. Yeah. They're so good. And whereas Arn was just going Arn was in the wrong Arn knew better. That's why I think I mean she knows better too, but I think when you're in a leadership role you can't I, I just I think I mean my personal opinion, I think yeah, she should probably be fired as well, but I mean I that's how I feel. I just don't think that that's what's going to happen, at least anytime soon. I think that that's almost one they could sit on and until I mean, right now they're riding this this wave of positivity from Roman Reigns coming back. So when do you want to send that press release out? When do you want to change the focus? Right. And so and they're heading into WrestleMania. So this to me would be something they might even pocket until WrestleMania if they are dismissing her. But uh that's even if they do that. Like I said, they can they can spin this. That's what they that's what they do. They try to spin things into a way that they look like the good guys. Last but certainly not least, the Georgia Fairgrounds. Or Tennessee. Nashville. Last but certainly not least, the Tennessee Fairgrounds. Nashville Fairgrounds. One of the most legendary venues in professional wrestling. Better known as the Asylum in TNA back when they first got started. Uh... It's going to be bulldozed down to create soccer fields. Yeah, the the Nashville has been awarded a major league soccer team, and they're moving to the Nashville Fairgrounds. And so, the House of Hardcore, Tommy Dreamer is bringing his group there. Uh, House of Hardcore is going to run the Nashville Fairgrounds June first, and it will be the last show there before bulldozed down the following week. So, definitely a historic place. Definitely a major wrestling 
place. And uh, oh, the birth of uh, TNA, uh, NWA TNA wrestling back in the day. Yeah. Earlier this year, Impact ran a show there. So, and NWA seventy was held there. So, it's seen some action here in its last few months. So, a good way to go out with uh, some pretty good shows. Right. But uh, yeah, just it's going to be. I feel like a great show and a historical show and a show that I have every intention of being at because I'm I'm going to let this building go out in style. Yeah, the the base ticket price is $30, so you can go to houseofhardcore.net and get tickets to the Farewell to the Fairgrounds event coming up June 1st, which I will be in Maryland for a wedding. So that's not my own, but someone else i will be going alone so uh but yeah i'll definitely definitely not miss this and uh i recommend that all true wrestling fans especially georgia alabama carolinas and tennessee definitely this is going to be a show you are not going to want to miss well a show that you would want to miss is wcw uncensored from 1995 oh boy are you telling the truth there that was my pick you know why because it happens in march March 19th, 1995, we picked the 95 edition of Uncensored. And after they did it the first year, Patrick, you would think, well, they would correct this and get it right in the years that followed. No. All right, so my bitch for a minute about this. Uncensored, this pay-per-view, especially tonight, multiple times said... Anything goes. Anything goes. No count-outs, no DQs. Tony Schiavone made that clear at least on six separate occasions. We have DQs. We have rope breaks. We have every single basic way of using those rules that you're telling us it are was not a pick in and, play. Yeah, it was a pick and choose. with the Much like all of pro wrestling, it was just a pick and choose right. when they want to enforce the rules and when they don't. But this was not ECW. You know, this was this would be very deceiving, and it was to me very deceiving because when I was a kid, I saw the the name uncensored, and what does that what does that imply to you? It implies to me nudity and Jerry Springer violence, vulgarity, right? The lowest of the low, right. you know, the lowest common denominator. That's what I thought when they would advertise this. I had never actually seen one of these events until the WWE Network came along because right. didn't have pay per view. Had I ordered this, or had I bought a ticket in Tupelo, Mississippi... I'd have been pissed. Yes, March 19th, 1995, I would have been livid. (laughs) I would have been pissed. So they're in Tupelo, at the Tupelo Coliseum, a city that the WWE will not run. (laughs) So, very much a WCW town. I don't think WWE probably even goes to Mississippi that much. They might go to Biloxi. Maybe. So they do run house shows there, but... They would never take TV there. In Biloxi, but not Tupelo. Oh, so they do. They do run Tupelo. They do run Tupelo. Okay. In the same building, I'm assuming. Yeah, this this is the same building. This is Tupelo Coliseum. It's now called the Bancorp South Arena. Okay. But Tupelo is a very tiny town. It is not a big city whatsoever. So for them to run a house show there, I, I am impressed. I really am. Yeah, but no TV. No TV. No chance no. of a TV camera coming around. I mean, they don't even bring TV here anymore, so 
definitely not to Tupelo. How many was in the audience, Alex? Oh, Patrick. They were in a jam-packed crowd of 5,782 people. Holy cow, and it was standing room only. <laughs> yeah, the capacity of this place is it's ten thousand seater, Patrick. Yeah. So they were they had some very tight shots of the crowd, so yes. you couldn't tell how empty yeah. it really was. I'm sure they told everyone to move forward. Oh yeah. This and this is during a downtime in pro wrestling, not just in their company, but in WWF as well. Yeah, ninety five was just not a good year for wrestling. Yeah. It this was pick, it didn't pick back up until right at ninety six or right at late ninety five. Right, and this was heading into, WWF was heading into WrestleMania 11. Yeah. So that tells you where we're at in pro wrestling history here. Uh, yeah, in front of 5,782 people, it's action-packed, no rules, no mercy, unsanctioned, unauthorized, unbelievable. Well, unbelievable is probably true, <laughs> and unauthorized, yeah, I would not authorize me or my children to order this. In any capacity, if I saw this in the bargain bin tapes, I would say, no, you do not pick that up. That is garbage. (laughs) On the cover of the poster, Avalanche, John Tenta. He is no longer an earthquake. He's a different natural disaster. He's not a shark either. No. Hogan and Savage. So those are the three people, the cover athletes on the poster. We missed the main event tapings, not on the network. Alex Wright, Doss Wonderkid, beat Mark Starr in 244. Steve Austin. He worked main event, that's right. He beat Tim Horner in a minute 27. And Stars and Stripes, Marcus Alexander Bagwell and the Patriot defeated the late Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck in a tag team match. And that is all on main event from 1995. We get a promo that starts out that says, No rules, anything goes. And one of the wrestlers yells, Get that camera out of here. I think it was Stevie Ray. So on this promo recap which you'll hear at the start of this podcast you've already heard it so why am i recapping it uh tony bobby heenan and mike Tanay are out they uh mike would not be joining us on commentary he was doing all the backstage work i guess mean gene was not present tonight mean gene does he show up here any i don't think he does i don't think he does either yeah Tanay was doing all of it yeah uh mean gene taking the night off uh, which I'm thrilled that he... He got a night off. Yeah. This was a good one to skip. Yes. There was no way he could have tried to save this pay-per-view. No. <laughs> Tonight, Vader will take on Hogan, and Hogan will be joined by the ultimate surprise, Patrick. What a bait-and-switch here. I mean, very much leaning you to believe that... It's the ultimate warrior. Yeah, it's Jim Helwick. I mean, yeah. so what they did on Saturday night, they would have this guy... You'd see a silhouette and a guy, like, doing the warrior stuff. Yeah. But he was covered in smoke, so you couldn't see for sure. So you're just going to have to order the pay-per-view and find out, Patrick. Right. But it's got to be him. Why would they tease that? Who else could Why not? Yeah, well, this was almost a better idea. Hey, we tease it, you order it, we still get the money, and we don't have to pay Jim Helwig. So it's a win-win for us. And I could tell how disappointed this crowd was when they <laughs> when they got the surprise of the ultimate surprise. Well, and th- but they let it slip that it was a guy called the Renegade. Yeah, because I think they got a cease and desist from the WWE saying, "Don't do that. Don't do that. We're gonna come after you if you stop if you keep doing this." Or maybe Jim Helwig himself at this point. Well, yeah, because he owned that 
Right. So both of them, they didn't want any legal trouble, so then they called him the Renegade. Now, I don't know if they were calling him the Renegade on Saturday night, though, or if they were just calling him the Renegade on this pay-per-view. Yeah, I don't know when it swapped over, but it had to have been, like you said, for legal reasons. But I just thought that that was hilarious, that he is the mystery person, but yet we know who he is. We're supposed to know who he is. Yeah. He's a renegade, but the renegade can be the warrior, right? Right. The renegade warrior. They're going to take on Vader in a strap match, and uh, Vader will have Ric Flair in his corner. So, you're... you're A very weird-looking Ric Flair. Ric Flair, who had lost a career match. Yeah, really uh, done. Shouldn't have been allowed in the building, but this is unsanctioned, Patrick. Anything goes. That's right. The first minute on the WCW hotline tonight is play-by-play coverage, so you can actually pay $2 a minute to sit and listen to this pay-per-view being called on the telephone. Wouldn't that be a way to watch or listen to this pay-per-view on the phone? The King of the Road match. Now... Blacktop Bully is a truck driver gimmick. Yes. Formerly, he was Demolition Smash. This is Barry Darso. We saw the foundation of this at one of those Clash of the Champions. Yes. Where he was in the crowd, he had his trucker hat on, he was just angry. He was a bully. He was being a bully to all the wrestlers. Yes. Turns out, Demolition Smash all these years, Barry Darso was a truck driver. Yes. Who would have known? And he's not, he is not Russian like you would have thought oh, right, in the NWA. Yeah. Crusher Krusev here. Yes. This man had a lot of gimmicks. A lot of gimmicks. So Blacktop Bully, he even was, though he's a truck driver. He was, was he not Repo Man at one point? Oh, now? he was Repo Man as he well. He was Repo Man, yeah. And then he was Pain something. He was a golfer gimmick right there towards the end of WCW. This man has had a lot of fucking gimmicks. But to show his credibility, those are gimmicks that people remember. It kept getting him work. He was it got his, People remember the Repo Man. People remember Blacktop Bully. People remember... And there are so many other gimmicks out there, like Abe Knuckleball Schwartz, <laughs> that people are like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. You know? The gambler. Yeah, the gambler. Yeah, so he was a truck driver. Now, you would think if he's a truck driver, man, trucks were popular. So you had Diesel in WC. You had the actual truck in WWF. Yeah. And the driver of the truck in WCW. Yeah, so these two really should have had a super fight. Had WCW and WWF had the invasion in 96, it would have been Diesel and Blacktop Bull. That would have been awesome. The battle, King of the Road match. So, now you would think the truck driver would want to drive the truck. No. He's going to have someone drive it for him. He's in a personal feud with Dustin Rhodes, the natural. And they want to settle it on a King of the Road match. It's going to be his version of, you know, Undertaker. Undertaker gets all these great gimmick matches. This was going to be the signature blacktop bully match. The King of the Road. You fight in an 18-wheeler as it's going down the street, Patrick. And... (laughs) A 55-mile-an-hour... A... 55 oh, yeah. mile an hour uh, speeding down the interstate yeah. and traffic and it, jackknifing the thing and it's on fire no yeah, no 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 actually what it was was they're gonna roll around in an 18 wheeler full of hay yes in a cage yes. that had to have been designed specifically for this I don't see this oh cage yeah you a, don't yeah you don't pass a cage like this going down a, <laughs> I've never seen a no. cage like this you're so. going down the interstate you don't see this this was custom built strictly for this match and 
it's just amazing how much money went into this match because this is Blacktop Bully. This is not The Undertaker. This you is have, not a pushed character. You are so right because you have police in a front. A police escort. Police in back. A camera crew in a car right, camera riding crew beside. In, a camera crew in a Chevy Silverado pickup truck. <laughs> and they're riding in the bed of the truck with the camera. That sounds safe. Yeah. yeah. And then you have a helicopter. Yes, you heard me right. A helicopter showing overhead shots of this match and this 18-wheeler as it's going down the interstate. So... Yes. Uh, so... And it is not the interstate. It's the back roads of Tupelo, Mississippi. Now, also, you would think the object of the match might be to get control of the truck. Maybe right. Maybe get into the cab. Right. Battle to a- the driver's seat or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, disconnect the trailer, and that guy just... He's stuck in right. the middle of the road. Right. I don't know. Something, you know? No. Instead, they... The goal is to honk the horn, but yeah. not the horn of the truck, Patrick. No. Instead, we put a random, like, clown horn. Bicycle horn. Yeah, at the oh, front part of the cage. And odd, for some odd reason, both of these competitors didn't just rush after that horn immediately. They decided to try to salvage this thing. Well, I love how they bump around like they think they hit potholes or something. And they didn't hit shit. Yeah, so this match was actually taped days earlier outside of Atlanta, Georgia, and had to be heavily edited because both men decided they wanted to do color, which Turner had a no-blading policy at this time. And so these two guys did color, so they had to totally reclip the match. That's why we get those interruptions. Oh, we lost our feed. Oh, our feed's cutting out. Please excuse us, because they had to cut around them doing color. Yeah. And I had heard this match got Dustin fired for doing color, and that's how he became Goldust. This match gave us Goldust in yes, a weird, indirect it way. Did. I always heard that he got fired because he did color, but in the match, you never see that because they completely cut around it. Yeah. So it was kind of strange. I do think you see it vaguely on Blacktop Bully, like from a very distance. By the way, on Uncensored, by the way, where everything goes. But you guys did color? Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And Paul Roma got fired as well. So all three of these guys got fired, but they brought Blacktop Bully back. And like I said, he was there until 99. Why did Paul Roma get fired? I don't know. I don't know that that... From this pay-per-view? After this pay-per-view. I think maybe he was the agent in charge of this match and... (laughs) And I think said, yeah, you want a blade? Go for it. (laughs) So there you go. Here's the match anyway. They're in an 18-wheeler filled with hay, surrounded by a cage... The WCW helicopter follows the action. Whoever honks the horn gets the match won. Dustin stops Bully with a fence post to prevent him from honking the horn. The natural dumps a bale of hay on Bully's head. Then Bully hits a vertical suplex and chokes Dustin with a rope on the side of the cage. Dustin throws water on Bully, who has to sell water. Oh my goodness, water. As the truck runs a stop sign for a right turn, so they're also driving kind of dangerously here. With police, with a police escort. Right. Front and back, they ran a stop sign. Dustin hits his belly-to-back suplex on Bully. The truck slows down for a turn, and this knocks Bully off balance as he was going for the horn, so the truck driver can't even anticipate the truck slowing down. No. You would think he would have an advantage. He would right. know what was happening. Yeah. No, this causes him to fall down. Dustin grabs a crate and decks Bully with it. As they pass a trailer park, Bobby Heenan just can't help himself, saying, oh, they're passing a beautiful part of uh, town there in Mississippi. Look at that. Nice trailer park that they passed. <laughs> Dustin goes and gets a trough and hits Bully with it. The truck then 
comes to a stop sign. This one, it would not run. You know why? A church bus needed to pass the 18-wheeler. Yes. And, you know, they were not going to make this church bus wait. So instead, the match waited as a school bus that was, I guess, acting as a church bus slowly creeps across the top of the screen. And so... These men are bouncing around... In this is this, a fight to the death. In this in this truck. Can you imagine were, being on that church bus and you look out the window and you just see this... Cra- there's a helicopter flying really low yeah. over an 18-wheeler with two guys beating the shit out of each other. And they're surrounded police. by cops. Yeah, yeah. And a, and a Chevy Silverado with a camera crew. Driving in the opposite lane. Yeah. I mean... Oh, God, if they'd had oncoming traffic, they'd have been screwed. There was one truck early on that passed... The, the 18-wheeler, and I was like, did they not even close the roads off Yeah, and then there was some like that were parked on the side of the road as well. Yeah. It almost made me think that they were separating the yeah. you know, the oncoming traffic strictly for that, that reason. But they're at a stop sign, and these men are bouncing around in this truck like it's still rolling. Well, yeah, yeah and they the have to sell is, the effects. And the truck is stopped. Yeah, well, and I don't think it was going quite 55 when it was rolling, Patrick. It's, yeah, it it's was, amazing that how, how little the wind blew their hair when they were yeah, moving. it was more like 20. They brawl near the horn on the top of the cage, and Blacktop Bully almost climbs out of the truck. He almost gets thrown out by Dustin, He like, but he helped himself, really, so it was kind of half and half here. Bully misses a clothesline, goes tumbling to the back of the 18-wheeler, but then throws a bucket of water at Dustin. Amazing, these buckets of water stayed totally balanced the whole time. So he throws water. How did at it not slush out? How did it not slosh going out? Going 55 miles yeah, an exactly. hour. exactly, yeah. Hitting potholes and running stop signs. Exactly. Bully hits a clothesline. And then some rights, after leaping off a metal divider in this cage, had a random metal divider that they just happened to be able to leap off of. Both men battle for the horn... The truck slows down again, Bully hits Dustin in the eyes, and Bully climbs to the top, toots the horn, and wins the match. As I felt most sorry for this crowd in Mississippi who had to watch us on the mini, mini Titantron that Turner brought to the event, because it was no it was no giant screen, Patrick. It was a little it was a big screen, but at the front of the entryway, and you would have no idea what was going on. This was without a doubt. The worst possible <laughs> match of 1995. Wow, that is quite impressive. There are a lot of contenders from 95, I'm sure. Well, the one thing I will say, like I've always said about WCW, I'll give them credit for trying something. No, yeah, it was a great idea. Just very shitty execution. No, it's much like Kennel from Hell. In theory, you tell me that idea. I say, that's a great-sounding idea. We get all these vicious dogs, and they're mauling people, yeah. and just violent, and what a what you, a you dream. Think, you would think they would go to, like, a dog-fighting event and be like, hey, we want those dogs. No, those the dogs they got were licking... Trained. The dogs they got were licking their balls. Yeah, and pissing on the floor and yeah. everything else. Yeah. Um, but on paper, that sounds... that might There might be something there. Just like yeah. this match, I think if this was on, like, a closed lot... Sort of like how, I mean, and this didn't even stop them from doing these types of events, because Sumo Monster Truck is still to come at Halloween Havoc in 96. Yes. You know, in 95. They still did shit like this. This wasn't enough for them to say, you know what, this didn't work. And we're going to do the exact same thing a different way. So, just kind of confusing that they would do it 
but the sumo monster truck did turn out a little bit better. They did learn a little bit and like had a closed off area. I enjoyed but, that now. But this match should have, yeah, this should have been a closed off area. Maybe have the truck just come to a stop somewhere and just have them beat each other around the truck or something. I don't know. Or maybe come drive it into the arena. There, there's an idea that yeah. it was like on its way to the arena. Yeah. That way, at least the crowd gets something out of it. Yeah. This, uh, you don't even at home get anything out of this. I like your idea, though, if you, like, detach the trailer somehow. But have the trailer, the front part, on wheels, so, like, it's not going to actually... Somebody's not going to actually get hurt, but... Right, or you're just driving so slow, I mean, it would just creep to a stop yeah, or whatever. Something along those lines, though, to make it make sense. Because this right here made no fucking sense. No, it was a very strange idea of how to win the match. Like, yeah. it, you could have at least done a and pinfall. I'm, I'm like you. Why not fucking, if you're going to honk the horn, at least battle up to, like, a back window and reach through and honk it in the cab. Or something. Something instead of this tiny ass little clown honk honk. And, and I like Barry Darso and I like Dustin Rhodes, but this, they couldn't, they could not save this match. Well, and it was cut to shit too because of all, because of the blading too. Yeah. So even if they put on a five star classic, we'd never know because it was cut up so much. It wasn't a five star classic no. though. No. I would be scared to wrestle on this thing, even if it's moving at 20 miles an hour, though. It's a scary proposition. I mean, I know that they're... Barry Darso's got his ass hanging out of it multiple times. I think you almost need, like, Sabu and Mick Foley in this thing. Then you get Foley would have done it. Foley, yeah. yeah. And Foley would have had him slow down to, like, 15 and gotten thrown off the damn thing. And that's how you win. Yeah. Loser leaves truck. Yeah. Yeah. There's an idea. Any idea is better than honk this little horn. I think preschoolers can come up with a better way to finish a match. I do like that idea, though. You could safely be driving by a little ditch or a something. A crash pad. Yeah. And have a crash pad there and somebody gets thrown off. There's multiple ways of doing this. That would have been a lot fucking better than this shit right here. And just all the money they spent on it to get this result. They had to have just been furious. <laughs> but then did it again. This was Ted's blank check, so... Run up the money. Write it and bounce it. Yeah. <laughs> Write it and bounce it. We come back to the arena and get some pyro to wake the crowd up. Mike Tanay is with the stud stable. Arn Anderson says it's going to be a clean sweep tonight by the stud stable since Barry Darso kicked things off with a big win in that match we just saw. Johnny B. Bad is a desperate man, and he's the greatest wrestler in the world, says Arn Anderson. Colonel Parker says Hacksaw's crossed eyes are going to be permanently crossed in the martial arts match that they're having later. And Ming is out first with Colonel Robert Parker for... This martial arts match. And when I think martial arts, I think Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, absolutely. You know what kills me, though, is you have a Samoan man dressed as he's Japanese. Yes. Well, I mean, that was the implication, I'm sure. Well, I mean, Yokozuna. So, they just... They're like, ah, close Yokozuna kind of looked it, though. Ming does not look Japanese in any way. (laughs) I think... (laughs) But in pro wrestling logic, I close enough. Send him out there. So because I, he has brown skin. Yes. Well, it's just like Sonny Ono. He's not Japanese or Chinese. He's born in Nebraska. 
Yeah, that's true. So, Sonny Ono getting some work here since he was Eric Bischoff's buddy. That's right, yeah, speaking of Sonny. The, from the back in his uh, pro karate days here and his Ninja Star Wars thing that they had invented. That's right. Yeah. From the, I just watched the Bischoff documentary again. I had seen it before, but I had forgotten that he was part of Ninja Star Wars, which were Velcro ninja stars. You would throw at a guy that's wearing a vest that has Velcro on it, so you could play ninja stars with your friends. Yeah. Until someone gets out of control and pulls a real ninja star, and then someone loses an eye. Yeah. So. But that's a brilliant idea. I would love to find this. <laughs> You want to play some Ninja Star Wars? Well, with take me. it and get it autographed by Sonny Ono and uh, Eric Bischoff. That would be brilliant. Karate Master Jim Duggan doesn't know <laughs> how to bow to the opponent or the referee, so he's very confused at first. He also showed up in blue jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah, this is no. He is not. In he's a, not ready here. No. Duggan then he's understands the what they're asking him to do. It, Bow and he, he says no. He's not in a karate gi at all, and and he refuses to bow. Yes, and one time in refusing to bow, he does bow, and Sonny Ono's like that counts, and yeah. they almost start the match there. Yeah, but no, Ono wants an official bow and finally gets one, and then Ono wants the men to bow towards each other. Duggan finally gives in, bows towards Ming, and Ming just kicks him in the head. So all that for a kick to the head. Thanks. Ming gets a near fall out of it. That's right. I know this is a karate match, a martial arts match, but these are pinfalls that they will be doing. Sonny Ono just won't be hitting the mat with his hand instead. He will be raising his hand for a count. Duggan takes his boot off and decks Ming a few times because it's uncensored. No rules here, Patrick. Who cares? Ming no-sells it, locks on the Magna Claw. Ming chops Duggan, chokes him. Puts on another Magna Claw. He no-sells shoulder tackles from Duggan. Chokes him with his boot against the ropes. They brawl again. Then Ming slaps on another claw. Duggan, though, hulks up. Tries a headbutt, but Ming... Ah, he's got a hard head, you see. Don't ever try that. Duggan takes a bump off of it. Ming then misses a running elbow drop. This allows Duggan to hulk up. Do some corner punches. Then Duggan threatens Sonny Ono. He hits the three-point stance clothesline to Ming. But then Parker and Ono... Hold Duggan's arms, and Ming hits a super kick and gets the pinfall. One, two, three. So the ref turned heel, Sonny Ono, is in it with the stud stable, and Ming gets the win. So, very confusing match here. Yes. Martial arts not really involved, and Jim Duggan in a martial arts match. Even, I know Ming doesn't belong there either, but Jim Duggan. Jim Duggan martial arts master so we are off to a really good start to this pay-per-view this thing can't get better oh yes it can it's time for johnny b bad with mike his trainer and he says he's gonna knock the guy out and johnny says yeah he's going to dreamland who's his opponent arn anderson who went to a chevy dealership and got a blazer and so he cuts his promo sitting next to his truck which i thought was really weird what a weird product placement here for whatever dealership he got this blazer at. He talks about how tough he is. Then the match happens between Arn and Johnny B. Bad in a boxer versus wrestling match, Patrick. We we watched this. We couldn't wait to watch this. So after last week's review, we immediately got off the air and watched this match because now we are doing back-to-back Mark Merrill boxing matches. And, boy, we were in for a stunner that 
his match against Butterbean was a classic compared to this one. Oh yeah, absolutely. This this is shit. And for an Arn Anderson match, that is saying a lot. I was really disappointed with Arn Anderson's performance here because Terrible. he's supposed to be a wrestler, like a take, real taken down technical wrestler. Taken down. And I know this is in the early years of mixed martial arts, so he probably hadn't seen a UFC fight and see that, you know, what you need to do to counter. But there have been boxing and wrestling matches before this one. Well, and you're 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 a wrestler. The ground basis of professional wrestling is amateur wrestling. Just take him down so he can't punch you. No, Arn was stupid. Arn... He stood right there and took the shit all match long. No, it was terrible. He would get backed into a corner, and so you would think, oh, maybe he's rope-a-doping uh, yeah. Mark Merrow, Johnny no. B. Bad. No, no he, he was just getting his ass kicked. Yeah, he was just getting his head taken off. And so... These rounds, by the way, were like two-and-a-half-minute-long rounds. Yeah. This thing stunk. And Arn just looked like a complete buffoon. And so anyway, Johnny B. Bad gets the win in the fourth round when he uses his ungloved fist to then punch Arn Anderson. And then gets a pinfall cover, because why not? And uh, that is how this ended. So Arn Anderson looked like a buffoon. I don't know why he put Johnny B. Bad over. And especially as over as... I mean, Johnny B. Bad kicked his ass. It wasn't even close. Yeah, no, he didn't... I don't think he got offensive whatsoever except for that one DDT he hit. Yeah, and he would get a few cheap shots in here and there. Yeah, that that was was it. No, he was there to get his ass kicked. Yeah. And he did. He jobbed, and he jobbed really, really hard. Amazing, though, that they tried to... I mean, they incorporated him into the main event later tonight after he got his brains beaten out by Johnny B. Bad. Yeah. A Macho Man hype video plays, and Mike Tanay is with the Macho Man. Sorry, but incorporated him in a really shitty way, by the way, as well. I wanted to specify that. Oh, yeah. I mean, suspend your disbelief for a moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, proceed. I'm sorry. A Macho Man hype video plays, and Mike Tanay is with Macho Man. Macho says Avalanche can't handle him. Then he comes out to the ring, and then John Tenta, Avalanche, comes out. Macho low bridges John Tenta, and then hits a crossbody to Tenta out on the ring mats. Macho tries a scoop slam, but, oh man, Avalanche, remember, he's fat. Weight is too much, and Avalanche gets a near fall. He drops an elbow and a big leg for a near fall. Then he hits a belly-to-belly to Macho Man. And then John Tenta. John Tenta hits a drop kick, which I was like, whoa, this John Tenta was so good. And he hits a drop kick, gets a two count before Macho gets a foot on the ropes, and this causes a rope break. It's no fucking rolls! So we get another scoop slam from Avalanche, but he misses an elbow this time. Then he just tosses Macho out of the ring into the guardrail, beats Macho down on the ring mats, and when he climbs back in, he just knocks him right back down. Macho then rakes Tenta's head across the ropes to try to get back in the ring, and he finally does. He hits a crossbody from the top turnbuckle for a near fall, but Tenta does the Yokozuna throw of Macho Man to kick out. Then Macho tries a sunset flip, but John Tenta, remember... He's fat, so he just sits down and gets a near fall on Macho Man. Avalanche hits a power slam, but then Macho catches them with a back elbow for a quick near fall. Then Avalanche catches an axe handle attempt from Macho and runs him into the buckles, hits another power slam, misses a second rope splash to a down Macho Man. Then Macho hits a double axe handle to John Tenta, who had bailed outside of the ring. Then a woman 
you think it's a woman, jumps out of the audience and decks Macho Man and Nick Patrick. The woman then just starts beating the shit out of Macho Man. But you know who this is because the woman starts doing Ric Flair's struts and then reveals herself to be Ric Flair. The nature boy had put on a lot of eyeliner and makeup here. He had gotten really into the role, Patrick. He went all out. I know he could have just had a wig and a cape on, but no. And in heels, too. (laughs) Ric Flair, the greatest wrestler of all time, is wearing makeup and heels. He was into the role. He was completely, 100% committed to this. Avalanche hits the big whoopsie to Savage, and I think, well, he's about to get the win. Oh, no, no, no. Hold it right there. The Hulkster runs down and saves Macho Man, but the heels take off running before Hulk can give them their comeuppance. And then we get an announcement, Patrick. Winner by DQ, Macho Man Randy Savage. Wow. Just wow. You had a rope break and a DQ finish in the same match, in uncensored. No rules. Right before this match, Tony Schiavone specifies, once again, that there is no rules... No DQ, no I could probably out, put a compilation nothing. together of him saying that all through the night. Yeah. But he's not. is he not watching the, the same show we are? I don't he think he is. He says it, and every time he fucking says it, you hear Bobby Heenan go, well, it's uncensored. And they, <laughs> I swear to God, it was the most annoying thing of the pay-per-view. It's a simple gimmick to understand. Right. This isn't rocket science here. But if you're doing that gimmick, follow the gimmick. And you can't go from match to match with people using foreign objects and letting that go. Until all of a sudden in this match, oh, Ric Flair jumped the guardrail dressed as a woman. Oh, we're throwing it out. Rope break. Yeah, and a rope break. Well, that's something the WWE still does sometimes in no DQ matches. It makes no sense. Yeah. Oh boy. Harlem Heat is backstage with Sherry and Mike Tanay. Stevie Ray says there ain't nothing to it but to do it. Booker T says we're turning the heat up to 1,000 Harlem Heat degrees. Wow, what a promo from future world champion Booker T. This was a really bad Harlem Heat promo. Sherry says this team is good at Texas Tornado matches. Because they're from Texas, not Harlem. Uh, Sting and Big Bubba, though, are the next match. Sting is fired up. At least there's somebody here that looks like he came ready for work. <laughs> I mean, this guy, he had so much babyface fire. He gave up a great promo here. Like, oh, I'm just so happy to be in Mississippi and the Stinger's just gonna go out there and just beat him down and... Cranked up, ready to go. Your opportunity yeah! right around the corner when you meet Big Bubba Rogers. That's right, Mr. Tenay, right? You don't know me that well. My name is The Stinger, and I'm always on fire, especially when I'm in a city like Tupelo, Mississippi, and especially... Oh, man, let me tell you something. You don't know what kind of a mood I'm in. Words cannot describe it. Big Bubba, a.k.a. whatever you want to call yourself, tonight is your end. The Stinger's feeling so good, and I'm on my way to the ring. Woo! Stay there! It's up next, Sting and Big Bubba Rogers as part of this big WCW Uncensored pay-per-view. Man, it's a, and it just sucks for Sting because Hogan's there and he's in the middle of the card versus fucking Big Bubba. They had Sting in the prime of his career. Where are we going to put you tonight, buddy? Middle of the fucking card. Yeah. And he still gave it all... Oh, dude, this is match of the night in my... That's really sad. Well... Sad, are you watching the same fucking pay-per-view I'm watching? 
It's still a bad match. <laughs> it's still not. Which one would you put? <sighs> My point exactly. All you have left is Harlem Heat, Nasty Boys, and Vader and Hogan. Oh, boy. Okay, well, I guess, yeah, you're right. By process of elimination, this is match of the night. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck? Now, we've had all these great gimmick matches. What could be next? Oh, another singles match. So yeah. we had a singles match followed by a singles match. Yes. Great. Big Bubba is out. See, they changed his gimmick in WCW. He was the guardian angel. Now he's a detective. Or, well, he dresses like one, but he's just Big Bubba Rogers again, his old NWA name. He comes out, and then Sting comes out. And when I say detective outfit, so he had the hat, suspenders, coat. He brought the Big Bubba back from NWA. He brought that pretty much back to its its prime. He had given up the police force. Yeah, pretty much. Sting comes out and gets huge pyro. Sting takes Bubba's hat, puts it on, makes fun of it, punches Bubba in the face after wrapping his coat around him. Then Sting challenges Bubba to come get your hat. Oh, you want it? And leg drops it and then throws it into the crowd. And if I was Big Bubba, I'd be pissed because he probably legit bought that hat. Yeah. Like, hey. Yeah. That wasn't from the prop department. No. I know WCW would spend money on a helicopter, but I bet if he wanted a hat, they'd be like, no. No. For some reason, I just don't think that was their budget. Scoop slam to Bubba, big elbow drop. He whips Bubba to the buckles, send him headfirst into the buckles, and then knocks him outside. Bubba tries to crotch Sting, but Sting blocks it. They get back in the ring. Sting just goes back to work with a splash to a down Bubba, and then a smack across the face, which I kind of thought was a little shitty of Sting to do. It looked like it really <laughs> hurt. Sting then tries a leapfrog over Bubba and sells his leg, and this would become Bubba's mission, is to stop Sting's leg. So Sting tries to hulk up, but Bubba just takes his leg out. Sting just hobbles around the ring. His selling of the leg was beautiful here, though. And just Bubba just wears him out. Oh, he's committed to this leg injury. Bubba wants a pile driver, but Sting back body drops him out of it. But then, oh, sells the leg again. Bubba keeps working on the leg, goes upstairs, but falls off the top rope without Sting even touching it. Big Bubba just lost his balance and slipped off the top rope. So, okay. Sting then drops a big right to Bubba's head from the top rope. Sting scoop slams him, then goads Bubba into attacking him. Sting playing a little heelish here. And uh, he was resting on the second rope, so he goads Bubba into attacking him. But then Sting locks in a sleeper. Big Bubba uses his tie to hit a jawbreaker to escape. Very smart. Sting drops Bubba on his neck from a belly-to-back suplex. Hits a top turnbuckle splash for a near fall. Then Bubba chop blocks Sting. Oh, the leg is back, back out. Sting tries a scoop slam, but oh, the leg just gives out. Bubba lands on top. One, two, three? Big Bubba just beat Sting? Yes. In 1995? Yes. Wow. This was just shocking. This <laughs> is, if I was Sting, I'd be so pissed. I mean, I'm sure he's getting paid great money, so he's pressed. Steve Borden seems like a pretty chill guy. I'd be pissed. I would be furious. Like... Not only did Hogan come in here and Macho Man and Mean Gene and Hacksaw and all these and Avalanche, all these WWF guys have and come take in, my spot have yeah have come in and stolen all the thunder, no pun intended. I'm mid card working Big Bubba and I just got beat. <laughs> I just got beat. I was the most over baby face on the whole show. I just got beat. Yeah, clean, clean. Yeah. Well, oh yeah, the only match that actually ended with some some actual clean finish, and you're beating the biggest star you have. Yeah, the biggest merch seller by yeah, far. I mean, by Hogan far. had probably 
taken it over a little, but Sting had to be number two. Yeah. If he wasn't number one. And that place is going crazy. Hogan later on does not get this reception like Sting did coming to the ring. Well, especially here in Mississippi. I mean, this is NWA territory. This is... And this is their guy. This is their yeah. their one homegrown star that never left. And you're putting a mid-card job in a big fucking Bubba. <laughs> I mean... I love Boss Man. I no, really he's do. fine. But he cannot... You cannot put him in a match <laughs> against Sting. And then have him beat him. And have him beat... Oh, this is his biggest win ever. It's just amazing. It's yeah. just... I can't believe how far Bubba would fall from this. You would think... Oh, yeah, you would think he's going to face Hogan next or yeah, something. Yeah, he's the next yeah. challenger. Or him and Savage or something. You're thinking he's on his way up. But no. No, it was this and down downward spiral after. Maybe they just figure no one watched this show, so just give Bubba a win here. Make him happy. <laughs> so, yeah, just puzzled. This night has just been so bizarre. If I was him, I literally would have been going on Nitro. Or Saturday night or whatever, every chance I got and saying, Well, I beat Sting. Well, I beat Sting. Yeah, we need a number one contender. I can tell you who. Me. I just beat Sting. Yeah. Clean. Yeah. About ten minutes. Yeah. I would I would have drilled that into people's heads to the point that it made them so angry. What a guy Sting was to do the job, because you know, I mean, Hogan wasn't gonna lay down for oh, fuck especially no. now in ninety five. Yeah. None of those guys, not even Flair, I don't think would, would lay down for Bubba at this point. No. So anyway, now it's time for our tag team match. By the way, Earlier tonight, Arn Anderson had a match. He was a TV champion. That title wasn't on the line, and it's a good thing because he got his ass handed to him. Right. Tag team champs here, Harlem Heat. Title not on the line. No. We, this is all unsanctioned, yeah. Patrick. We can't have titles on the line. No, no. We're too extreme. Oh, and tonight's world title match? I got some news there, too. Title not on the line. It wouldn't matter because, of course, Hogan was in it, but not on the line. And they should have just said it was anyway. Not a single championship match on this pay-per-view and some of the champions lost yeah we get a recap of how sherry joined harlem heat and how this match stems from a feud that started before starcade it's march of 95 and they are going back to a feud that started in probably november of 94 mm-hmm. between these two teams so not a lot of depth in the wcw tag division here if you're Nasty Boys and Harlem Heat feud goes on for six months. Well, it's not like you have what were their names high high voltage. It's not like you have high voltage there already to get That's things true, going. Yeah, it's yeah. really not until they arrived that the tag team division really kicked exploded. Off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, from all the voltage, of course. Mike Tanay is with Knobs. He screams. Sags. He screams. Knobs says, "I'll throw him in the trash can." Then we cut to a Harlem Heat sizzle reel, showing them beating people. That way you believe that they can win the match. (laughs) Their music plays and only Sherry comes out. I guess they just, they saw how shitty this pay-per-view was and said, fuck it. Yeah, our belts weren't on the line, we'll just lose by forfeit. Let's go home. Yeah, we're we're not even remotely going to waste our time. The Nasty Boys are out with Sags carrying a plastic garbage can, those vicious Rubbermaid garbage cans that... Oh, man, those hurt like hell, huh? Yeah. Uh, so, Knobs and Sags are like, where's the where's Harlem Heat at? And so, they get impatient, and Knobs takes a shot at Sherry here. And I thought, well, that's kind of heelish of you. She goes on the ramp, and Harlem Heat, of course, sneak attack. Get the jump on the nasties. They never saw it coming. 
They jump them from behind. This is a Falls Count Anywhere match, so get ready to go do some walking and brawling. Stevie knocks Nobbs down with a lariat and a big boot. Booker hits an axe kick to him. Stevie hits an assisted pile driver with Booker coming off the top. Holy like, shit, this yeah, looks this, bad. This match is over already. Yeah, yeah, this looked bad. Nobbs finally wakes up, though. Clothesline Stevie as Booker gets slammed on the ring mats by Sags. Stereo clothesline to Stevie, and the Nasty Boys then go after Sherry again. They rip her jacket off, which Bobby Heenan enjoyed, and then they take her to Sag's Pity City, which is probably the worst bump of the night that anyone had to take, is going into Jerry Sag's armpit. Booker gets the trash can dumped on him by Sag's, and they brawl in the aisle way. Nobbs and Stevie follow them out there. They set up an entire fake concession stand, Patrick, because this concession stand was not available to the fans. It was on the aisleway. So I guess the wrestlers were supposed to, on the way back to and from the ring, I guess, they could get some cotton candy, get some cola, whatever whatever they're, they're feeling. Slushy. I mean, it's been a tough night. I mean, yeah. they don't have catering. I bet this was their catering for the night. Uh, I w- it's WCW, so I would believe that. So they brawl at this fake concession stand, and Sags gets thrown into the lemonade and cotton candy stand, and Sherry starts choking him. Booker smothers him with cotton candy. And he had to sell this. That's right, Sags gets... Sags sold getting smothered with cotton candy. A pillow-like substance. He couldn't breathe. Knobs, hilariously, this starts everyone doing fucking banana peel routine here as the lemonade had dumped all over the floor so Nob starts slipping and he busts his ass on the fucking wet concrete oh, this yeah. is the most dangerous match of the night here yeah everybody then is they can't keep their footing no so everybody's falling throughout the rest of this entire it was match. Fun. yeah it was it was like they were on ice <laughs> Yeah, that that's a good idea for a match. We've done, like, Inferno matches. We need, like, an ice skating ring match. <laughs> Vince Russo, if you're out there. Knobs uh, finds the mustard and dumps it all over Harlem Heat. Oh, my God. I've never seen so much mustard in my life. It sucks. It's the yellow mustard, too, not Dijon. Which, But this Heenan did do some great Poupon jokes when they saw this. <laughs> Booker just throws Knobs... Through the funnel cake stand, it just instantly collapses. <laughs> like it gets Nobs's thumb on it and just completely implodes. This, this pressed plywood did not like. It did not withstand the pressure of his thumbprint. Amazing that this funnel cake stand had no cooking devices in it. Amazing. There yeah. was no oven or uh, grease deep fryer. Yeah, deep yeah. fryer. Yeah. The ref then calls for the bell. And I was so confused. I was like, what the fuck just happened? Well, the camera missed the pinfall. That's right. Knobs pinned Booker on what was left of the funnel cake stand. And then they just kept fighting for a second. And then the ref called for the bell. Yes. But this was on a different camera that got the best footage of this happening. Mm Mm-hmm. So we had to wait till replay because I was like, what the fuck happened? And then I went back and replayed it myself and saw it in the corner of my eye. Like, that's it. Yeah. And then I thought, well, at least the Nasty's got the tag team belts. No. And I had to double check because I was like, maybe they did win them and they just didn't hand them to them. But no, nothing. Well, So this was nothing. They almost nearly died from lemonade and mustard slippage here. And uh, nothing was to come of this. Oh, dude. They're, you know their wrestling gear was ruined from all that fucking mustard. That shit's not washing out. Mustard stains are hard to get out. 
Mike Tanay is with Vader. Vader says the demon stands before you. There's nowhere to run, Hogan. And I've got Ric Flair in my corner. Ric Flair then appears wearing his makeup and nail polish from earlier tonight. He says, you don't like it? Do something about it. I can't be retired, and I'm possessed. And Hogan, I'm going to drive you out of the sport forever. He would not be doing that. This was a good promo between these two heels here, but... Wow. Thanks very much, Tony Schiavone. And joining me at this time, the 450-pound... Shut up, Pop! Hogan! The time is before you! The demon stands before you! The fear is here! The fear is there! Hogan! There's no place else to run! There's nowhere else to hide! It is time to get it on! You must now pay for your stupidity. It is uncensored, unsanctioned, and Mr. Flair is in my corner! Between the two of us, there's an unprecedented 23 world titles! Hogan, get ready to get it on! Get ready to play the pain game! It's over! The talk is over! Hulkamania is over! And it's Vader time! I think it goes like this! You don't like it? Do something about it! You see this? Not just another pretty face, but the face of a man possessed! Possessed with you, Hogan! My whole career, they said, Hulk Hogan's bigger! They said he's better! They said you can't beat him! Get out of here today! They said you can't beat him! And I said, bring him on, let me test you! Then, Hogan, you take me out of my element! You take me out of my life! You retire me! Am I gonna walk off into the sunset? Say goodbye forever? No! I become the master plan. I become the man possessed with taking you out of this sport forever. Okay. So what do I do? I get the biggest. Okay. After the Super Brawl 5, the whole world saw who the man is. And you're looking at him. And after tonight, brother, they will know who the uncrowned heavyweight champion of the world is. Vader time, flare time, uncensored, unsanctioned. Tune in, brother, because it's live and in color. Hogan, we're coming your way. Woo! It was just odd seeing Ric Flair in the makeup holding the mic for Vader. That was very weird. We go to Super Brawl highlights and Saturday Night highlights. Vader beat up the Patriot, but Hogan, of course, the real Mr. America here, gets the strap and took it to Vader, as this is a strap match. We go to a Hogan pre-tape, and he says, wait till they see the ultimate surprise. And that's where we get the tease that Jim Helwig had signed with WCW, which had not happened. Michael Buffer is there for the intro. It was one of the earliest uh, appearances of him in WCW. Let's get ready to rumble. Vader is out with Flair. Hogan is out by himself and wearing a Speedo. He got his legs out here in 1995. Then, the WCW knockoff Ultimate Warrior music hits, and this crowd actually got on their feet. Yeah. And they were excited. They were pumped. And the Renegade runs out. This dude is not running so much as walking, speed walking with jock itch. 
Yeah, he's got a very wide stance. Yes. In his run. And the pop slowly dissolved as they realized this was not who they thought it was. So, Renegade chases Ric Flair down the ramp. Hogan goes after Vader. Vader immediately loses his mask. So, there goes that gimmick. Which WWF would do a mask versus mask match with him and Kane. A few years later, and it was hilarious because we've all seen Vader without his mask. Yeah. Several times. And on Boy Meets World. Going into this, you know who was going to lose that match. Hogan bites Vader. Renegade and Flair just pace around the ring. Then he slaps Flair with the strap when he decides to stop it. Renegade no-sells some Flair chops, and then Renegade chases him down the ramp again. Vader hits a Vader bomb to Hogan, and that keeps him down a while. And Vader chokes him with the strap. This is a strap match where you have to hit the corners, by the way. Not a pinfall or submission strap match. Not the cowbell. Not a Starcade 85 uh, strap match. Jimmy Hart then runs down to be in Hogan's corner. It looked like he had escaped from some sort of dungeon. Maybe a dungeon of doom, perhaps. As he had had his shirt ripped open and his jacket ripped to shreds. I don't know where they were keeping Jimmy Hart, but he escaped. And he's here to help Hulk Hogan. Hogan and Vader brawl out to the aisleway. Vader misses a chair shot after Jimmy Hart stops him. And then Hogan delivers three of the lightest chair shots to Vader I've ever seen. But Hogan was ahead of the CTE thing and realized don't hit these people hard with chairs. Then hits a running chair shot that had a little bit more behind it, but was still a pretty light chair shot. Hogan takes Vader into the ring, hits him with the strap, crotches him with it. They brawl for a while. Big boot, big leg. Hogan hits the buckles. He gets to three, but a man in a ninja suit runs down, as we've had multiple appearances of the uh, the ninja here lately yeah. on Retro Wrestling Podcast. <laughs> I forgot the name of our show. The ninja has appeared on a few episodes of Retro Wrestling Podcast now. This time it's a man, it's not Tori. He runs down, decks Renegade with a wooden chair. This causes Flair to deck Hogan with a wooden chair. Vader then goes for the buckles, but Flair wants a big splash, so Ric Flair costs Vader the match here by saying, hey, I want you to splash him from the second rope before you touch the fourth buckle. So Vader tries it, and not surprisingly, he misses, lands on the chair, Flair then pulls Vader out, hits Hogan with a chair, but Hogan hulks up, big boot, and Hogan wears Flair out with the belt, rips Flair's shirt off, his $1,000 shirt, then he drags Flair around, hits the buckles, and hits all four with Flair being dragged behind him. So he wins the match, Vader immediately gets in, starts blasting Hogan again with shots, then Renegade grabs a chair to help Hogan, then the Ninja Man comes back out, this time from the entryway, and he grabs a chair. Then... Arn Anderson comes out, and he was in the ninja suit, but he was tied up. So what you're telling me is that Macho Man was backstage watching this match, saw the ninja run backstage, tied him up, stole another ninja suit somehow, came back to the ring to help Hogan. Yes. Amazing how this was in, in a span of like a minute and a half. Yeah, and what for? What foresight? Why didn't he just warn Hogan ahead and said? Hey, I found this ninja suit here. I think something's going to go down later. Yeah. No, this was totally ridiculous. So Savage saves the day for Hogan. Then Hogan, Jimmy Hart, Renegade, they all hot dog and grandstand as American Maid plays us off the air. So, whew. This was bad. Hogan wins the match without beating the guy in the match. It's true. He beat Ric Flair. Gotta keep Vader hot, man, for Bash at the Beach. 
I had to do a lot of fast forwarding on this show. I had to do that little 10 second ahead thing to, to click up to get to the next move so I could get through this. There's no way I could actually sit through and watch this without falling asleep. Sometimes I turn on wrestling to fall asleep. Actually, more often than not, I go to bed and I turn on something on the network, some random thing, fall asleep. Nitro 2000. (laughs) But this is a good contender for something that I could fall asleep very easily to. Dude, this was terrible. And it wasn't until I proved to you. Sting and Bubba was match of the night. That is really sad. (laughs) I mean... And you, if I'm saying it's terrible, that should tell you. Yeah, because you're a much more lenient judge than I am. That should tell you how bad it truly is. God, this sucked. This, this. Well, whole, the whole pay-per-view was flawed because they didn't stick to the one rule. I think up until the finish of Savage and Avalanche, that had a potential to be the match of the night. I think the, the ending ruined it. Yeah. Harlem Heat Nasty Boys was the most stupid, <laughs> ridiculous waste of time. And I think they went longer than the fucking main event. No, no. The main event got 1821, so it got the most time. Uh, the second longest match was Rogers and Sting and then Savage and Avalanche. It felt like an eternity. That That's probably bell-to-bell times. I mean, that doesn't yeah. include... The entrances, uh, the weird ending where it took a few minutes to sort out what the fuck even happened at the end of the match. Dude, that was... And it was the most dangerous as well because these guys were on this lemonade slushy type substance, whatever... On concrete. On concrete. And they are slipping and sliding. No grip on wrestling boots. Yeah, and between Stevie Ray, Sags, Booker T, and Knobs. Sags and that's about it because I don't think Booker T was where he would eventually be as a pro wrestler. So Sags is the only one that can actually do real work out there. Like, yeah, and you can't attempt anything out there. Like you'd slip, you you bust your own, you break your own neck trying to do a yeah. suplex or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, if you tried to power slam somebody, you lose your footing. Hell, you're busting the back of your head open. I mean, it's so the match, break, or falling on your side and breaking an arm. So the match just ended with him, you know, Stevie or Booker, whoever, getting shoved into that stand and that just cover him. Yeah. One, two, three, because they had no, they didn't know any, they couldn't do anything else. Right? Yeah, it was, it was terrible. And it wasn't even for the belt. No. Vader and Hogan didn't even end with a clear winner because Vader didn't get drug around. No, he wasn't attached to Hogan by the strap. And it was Flair. It was it, and the Renegade. This was the highest point in his entire career because I guarantee you he was working the first match from then on out. Oh yeah, well he ended up he got the TV title at one point, so he did get a little well, bit of a push. They were hurting then. Yeah, the former male stripper, the Renegade, who would then was he was he the guy from High Voltage? What? No, no, he was not the guy from. Uh, the renegade was Richard Wilson, and he was the guy that he worked as this renegade character until Jimmy Hart turned on him on an episode of Nitro said, you're not a renegade, you're just Rick. You're a nobody. You're nothing. And so he was just done. And the last time he was really used was when they actually did sign the Warrior in 98. He was the one that came out of the trap door at Fall Brawl, and they did the Twin Magic in with, the ring. Yeah, he was the one that came out of the ring. So he stayed under the ring all night and did that one spot 
and then he was uh, used as a jobber and was released. That was the fall brawl that... uh, Bulldog broke his back. Bulldog broke his back at, that's right. Yeah. His final match is in December 7, 98. He lost to Wrath. He was released from WCW right after that. And then sadly, he killed himself in 99. Really? Yeah, he was on the phone with his girlfriend and shot himself. 33 years old. Wow. Yeah. So. I did not see that one coming. Yeah, he was he was trained by Killer Kowalski, like Triple H. So he had, like, serious credibility. And he wrestled for uh, Wrestling and Romance out in Japan. But yeah, was, I believe, a male dancer, though, before he got into WCW. So he had other avenues, but... In the ring, you could never tell that he was had the same training as Hunter Hearst Helmsley, but, uh, yeah. He was Rio Lord of the Jungle back in Japan. So, there you go. That's the Renegade. So, he was like a Tarzan-type gimmick, I'm assuming. Which actually suits him better. He looks more like a Tarzan-type than yeah. the Ultimate Warrior. Right. But the bait-and-switch worked, if I remember correctly. This pay-per-view did a good buy rate because people thought the Ultimate Warrior was going to show up. And it was a terrible, a terrible... The Sam's Choice oh my Warrior. God. Oh, and it was a terrible show. It was a terrible show. And took three hours. God. So there you go. What a what a great night. Let's do five more uncensored pay-per-views. Let's not. <laughs> Hopefully they actually learned the proper way to do an uncensored pay-per-view. Well, I think we've already seen... We've already seen Uncensored 96. That was the alliance to end Hulkamania. So we know in one year they didn't improve that much. Well, hell, it was better than this. Yeah. That says a lot, yeah. When Z-Gangsta is better than Vader in her main event. And G. Swanson. Yeah, the ultimate solution, as they called him. Which was originally the final solution, which was not... If you're a history buff, that's not a very good thing to be called. So, on our rating scale, Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, uncensored, 1995. I get a little, uh, little beaver. Oh, you beat me to it. That's exactly what I was going <laughs> to In honor of the, the, the micro wrestler that King Kong Bundy smashed at WrestleMania 3, uh, Tiny Beaver. Yes. Or Little Beaver. Little whatever Beaver. Whatever he's called. Little Beaver. Yes. Little, yeah. little That's where I would rate this one. This God, this was bad. So, this that was my pick. Terrible. What a pick it was. Uh, well, <laughs> let's stay away from Uncensored for a while. For a while. And uh, where will we be going next week in well, the Retro y- Wrestling Podcast? Usually it's a surprise between us, but you and I talked this one out um, in advance. As a tribute show... To King Kong Bundy, we're going to go to WrestleMania 2 and relive probably one of the most highly anticipated moments of his entire career. Not only that, but a WrestleMania from three different locations, Patrick. This was a very monstrous undertaking by the World Wrestling Federation. Yes. In 1985, the sequel to the original WrestleMania, the first ever title match in WrestleMania history. That's right. As Hogan did not defend the belt at WrestleMania 1. That's right. So the blue cage was out in full force for Hogan. You're also Bundy. going to see a, another boxing match. Boy, we're on a string. 
where Roddy Piper will be taking on Mr. T in a boxing match. A boxing match that ended much more differently than it was intended to due to the fact, like we mentioned, the uh, the little string that holds the thumb together. He was supposed to take a flying leap out of the ring and Piper looks and goes, well, fuck, I don't have a thumb. How do I grab the ropes to not fall on my head? And so they last minute swap and Piper just goes off the deep end and goes into business for himself. It's a very entertaining boxing match, however. You actually need to be looking forward to it. And, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, don't you have the uh, the NFL players and the WWF wrestlers all in a battle royal? WWF versus NFL Oh, yeah. Royal. Oh, I see. So the NFL players, as a nod to the uh, the XFL here, are we're going to do the NFL and WWF wrestlers in a battle royal. Yeah, throw them all together at the Rosemont Horizon. Yes. See what happens. And so that is your three main events from three separate locations. Yeah. And yeah, so we're we're going to see how this works out. Yeah, will the sequel be better than the original? Probably not. <laughs> uh, we'll go to powerslam.tv, use the code retro wrestling, get a month for free, over 4500 hours of content and there you go. Yeah. That'll do it for this week. I'm Intern Alex. I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my closing line's a clothesline. And bingo, bingo. Well, it was it was the big uncensored match, and Mike Graham came up with the match. He says, hey, we're going to have a match in a flatbed truck with a cage around it. You're going to go on a 50-mile trip, and it's going to be the most brutal match, and you're going to win because it's your match, and that's going to be the match you're going to have every year. Well... They had the uncensored matches at an arena, so it was a live show, and then they cut away to our match. Well, somebody was saying, I don't know how true this was, but there was a few matches going on at the arena, and ours was, you know, they they went cut back and forth pretty soon. They were booing the matches in there. They wanted to see our match. So I think it got a little bit of heat. But, you know, we were were told to have, uh, have quite the match where we were bleeding in the match, and... You know, make it make it the real and it was the real deal. I mean, we were hitting the cages and blood everywhere, backs. So the whole deal. False that you were let go because you bladed in that match. Well, what had happened was when the whole match was done, uh, both of us, me and Dustin, we I mean, we were exhausted, and they cut out so much of that match. You know, but anyways, I thought it was the best match I ever had. And then I had to drive from Atlanta back to Charlotte blood all over me and you know the whole deal and Dustin calls me up in the middle of the night was very thank you you know and everybody loved the match the next morning I'm in Charlotte and uh, I get the phone call from Eric Bischoff he says Barry what a hell of a match you had and I said thanks Eric you know and he says I got good news and bad news and I said well tell me the bad news he goes you're fired <laughs> I said what fired he says yeah you're fired you weren't supposed to get any blood in that match I said you got to be kidding me I said I, I was. Kind of I said I was told that we were supposed to have blood all over our bodies. You know, it was a uncensored truck match in a cage. Your match, and you're telling me I'm fired. He goes, yeah. He says, please. He says, I really want you to leave on good terms. We've been friends, you know, and I'll, I promise I'll hire you back. So he says, Dustin's fired and Mike Graham's fired too. So I said, well, 
Are you going to fire the camera crew? Are you going to fire, you know, every single person that's involved? Because they could have shut the cameras off. It wasn't just our fault. He says, Barry, you know, please. I said, Eric, if you don't want me here, I'm done. Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 4,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 110 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at Powerslam.tv.